0: thank you that that can be true for us that have followed you and it is true for those that have placed their faith in you you did the work bring us into your family into your kingdom and we are so thankful for you allowing us to believe and to say yes to you may you be our life we celebrate that today in the lord's supper that you are our life your death your burial and resurrection for us salvation Jessica Drew. Thank you so much. Well, well done. All right. So as we get started today, we're back in Proverbs and hopefully uh, you have renewed your read a chapter of Proverbs each day goal. And uh, so we only have a few more. uh, Let's see, today's the 7th, 31. That's 24 more days to get into it. So if you haven't not done that, get back into it and uh, get back into Proverbs and See what God does. He shows you you new things as you read again for maybe the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth time. I don't know how many months we've done it. But uh, there's just so much there to keep growing with and keep learning from. So uh, I gave this statement a few weeks ago, it's easier to get older than it is to get wiser. (laughs) And maybe since we gave that quote a few weeks ago, you're going, yeah, man, that really is true. I I can really feel like I'm getting older, but I don't know about this wiser part, right? But uh, we know that is true for us. So, Anyway, so here's some real examples of maybe how it might be easier to get older than to get wiser. A college basketball player once made this statement. I will not tell anybody uh, what college he came from, but Elisha might know about him. This man said, I've never had major knee surgery on any other part of my body. Yeah, probably not, right? (laughs) Uh, A manager, a baseball manager for uh, one of the teams, uh, uh, NFL, NBA, MLB teams, Major League Base, said this, half this game is 90% mental. (laughs) A couple of statements about the environment that people made. I will not tell you again who made these, but very famous people. It isn't pollution that's harming the environment. It's the impurities in our air and water that are doing it. (laughs) And somebody else, we've got to pause and ask ourselves, how much clean air do we need? (laughs) I'm just telling you, very famous people. Okay, this question was asked in a uh, Miss USA contest, and this is the answer this lady gave. The question is, if you could live forever, would you and why? Her answer. I would not live forever because we should not live forever. Because if we were supposed to live forever, then we would live forever. But we cannot live forever, which is why I would not live forever. (laughs) I don't think she won that portion of the contest, okay? (laughs) And here's one from the Department of Social Services to an individual. Your food stamps will be stopped effective March, 1992. Because we received notice that you passed away. (laughs) Oh, that's not all. Okay. (laughs) May God bless you. (laughs) That's not all. (laughs) You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. up, there probably will be. (laughs) Uh, If you get a notice like that shirt with me, okay. Uh, All right. Yes, it is easier to get older than it is to get wiser. (laughs) All right. So I do know, though, some some wise words that have the potential to really change your life and even help you live forever. They're good, well-timed, powerful, and applicable. And it's in the book of Proverbs that we read of the only wise God's eternal advice to us. His words of wisdom given to King Solomon to pass on to his sons that we might become wise guys and wise gals, skilled or experts at godly living. We might become wise guys and wise gals, skilled or experts at godly living. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, Wisdom is supreme. Get Wisdom. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Why do I want you to read the book of Proverbs every day? To get wisdom. To get to know God in a powerful way. His wisdom, the wise God who gives us his wisdom so we can be wise guys. Today, we're going to look at Solomon and some other Bible authors, talk about wise words related to the topic of work by the use of contrasts. First contrast, this is good versus bad. Many people see work, as you know, as a necessary evil. (laughs) It's a necessary evil to get them to the weekend or whatever days off they have. Isn't that pretty much what you hear in every car and beer commercial on TV? Do this so you can get to the weekend so you can celebrate and live it up on the weekend and get away for the weekend in your Audi convertible (laughs) or Mercedes Benz or whatever your pleasure is. Listen, you might live for the weekend, but you will not have a weekend if you don't put in a work week. Bill Gates, you know who that is? Yeah, he did pretty good at all this stuff. He probably has a lot of weekends on his hands. He said this, giving advice to young people. He said, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. (laughs) You see, contrary to beer and car commercials and the show Friends, the Lord has a definite opinion about work. It's not a necessary evil or bad. It's good because he ordained it. Think back with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, The Lord God, or the God said, All that he made, he saw all that he made, and then he said it was what? Very good. Very good. In Genesis 2.15, there's a commentary about the creation in chapter 1. The Lord God took man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, if you're like me, you've thought a lot about that through the years. What did they have to do for work? There's no sin, there's no disease, there's no death. What is it that they're supposed to work at? Well, when you figure that out, let me know, Okay. I guess just keep taking fruit off the trees. It's not like it was for us. But what he says is, I've ordained this. Work is a part of your life. And you know what? It was good. Not a necessary evil, but it was good. Patrick Morley, he's the author of the book, Man in the Mirror, other books, great author, great men's speaker, in the book, Man in the Mirror, Solving the 24 Problems Men Face, I think you probably maybe missed a few if there's only 24 we face, man. <laughs> he said this, work is an opportunity to join God in transforming the world. Every decision you make, every sale you attempt, every project you complete, all can reflect Christ. All the things that we do in there, in work, all can reflect Christ to people around us. Now, Proverbs, as we look at these verses, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, 14 says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Wise words. He who works his land will have abundant food. The provision will be there. They'll may be making provision for themselves and for other people, of course. But if you got fantasies, you think you can do it this way and do it. I mean, I know I know there are people that have that mind to be able to make those fantasies come true. But, but he's talking about those 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 things that have no air to them. I think I can do this, but but there's no plan to make it happen. They're gonna they're people who lack judgment. You see, good things come from good pursuits. So to see good work. To see good from your work, have God's point of view. Work is good. He ordained it. It's a part of our lives. And he wants us to use that to communicate his love and his light to people around us. Good versus bad. Second contrast, spiritual versus secular. Unfortunately, many Christians have, I think, fallen prey to a second erroneous thought about life work is bad the second one is this that there's a secular part of life and there's a spiritual part of life Monday through Saturday is my secular part of my life and then when it comes to Sunday okay, then I put on the spiritual part of my life there's a well known Greek word for this view of life hogwash (laughs) that's really not a Greek word but okay you get what I'm saying that is not true all of our life is spiritual. There isn't a secular part. There isn't a, a spiritual part. All of it is spiritual. The Word says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, you might even know this verse, right? Read it with me. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, which part of that verse is secular? Which part of that is verse is spiritual? I oh, said it's all a part of who we are in our spiritual life. Whatever we do, eating and drinking, even the mundane things in our life, we, we want to make sure that we want to bring the greatest of glory to God so that He's lifted high and He's exalted. All of life is spiritual, including the 30 to however many hours a week you work, the time that is a part of your life. You see, my work as a pastor and your work are both spiritual works because we're children of the King who created us to glorify Him through our work. Each of us has God's call on our spiritual daily vocation. Every one of us, students, the call of God is on you to glorify God in the place that He has put you. I think the Holy Spirit says to each one of us, I call you to shine the light of Christ as my ambassador to a needy world through your vocation. I call you to shine the light of Christ as my ambassador to a needy world through your vocation. Each one of us should know without a shadow of a doubt that that we've been called on our vocation as certain as a pastor is of his calling. Students, again, I would say to you, God needs to call you to be an engineer. God needs to call you to be an accountant. You need to know that that's the call of God on your life. If you don't ask him that, you won't really know that. Or you'll go into it and you'll pursue it, but, but you won't know, God, is this what you want me to do with my life? And now's a great time to start asking that question because people will start asking you, of course, what do you want to do when you grow up? And it'd be great to be able to say, I think God wants me to be I think God wants me to do this. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I've asked Him. And He's given me these talents, these abilities that lead me in that direction. And guess what? I want to glorify Him. In everything I do, I want to glorify Him. And you better remember remember Chuck Colson. Many of you do. Part of the Watergate thing. Goes to prison for that, finds Christ. And begins prison. begins. Prison. fellowship. Incredible ministry. Passed away, numbers of years ago. But he used to have a, an article. He used to have a radio program called Breakpoint. And he's in this one article. It was called titled this. What's so important about faith and work? And here's what he had to say. He comments about the good and spiritual nature of work. My first two points. In American society, most of us spend more of our waking hours at our jobs than in any other activity. While that may or not be a may or not be a positive commentary in our culture, it's a fact that's got to be considered by churches and ministries seeking to equip Christians to live faithfully. Yet, in our work cultures today, most of us have been trained to separate our faith lives from our work lives—secular, spiritual. He says this: the chasm between the two worlds disturbs us, signaling that something is wrong. He says, For years we've lived with the belief that the real work of God is most, the real work of God's kingdom was done by missionaries and members of the clergy. Others work to make money to support the real work. <laughs> Yet, scriptures insist that our work is good. The ancient Greeks thought of work as a curse, Christianity gave meaning to work. Work for the Christian is a calling. After all, Jesus grew up with the calloused hands of a carpenter. The very fact that he worked gives dignity to our work. And when I read that, I go, man, this fits my sermon really well. (laughs) Work is not evil. Work is good. There's not a secular part to our lives, and there's not a spiritual part of our life. All of our life is spiritual. We just happen to work many hours of it. Solomon says this as God directed him. Let not, your, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's what we all want. That is love, and his kindness, his mercy, and his grace, as we sang earlier, would, would be bound around our necks and in a good way, not, not in a choking way, but in a good way that says this is who we are. And we want to bring honor to him. And we're going to live our life that way. We're going to work because it's good, because he ordained it. And we're not going to go around and say, oh, yeah, you know, that's over there, that's over there, and this is over here. No, no, all of our life is spiritual. It's all to give glory to God. Whatever we do, eat, drink, to be a part of our lives and work, play, all of it is to give glory to God. Third contrast. Workaholism versus avoidance. This one's just a little bit different than the other ones, but this. The world often says this. Your job is the most important part of your life. Maybe you've had one of those bosses or supervisors in your lifetime that basically said, man, this this is the only thing you need to concentrate on. And you don't do that. You know, we can find somebody else to put in those 50, 60 hours if you won't do it. Over the past 40 years, the average number of hours an individual works each week has increased from 40 to more than that. Working vacations are the norm, if vacations are even taken. The work computer comes home and cell phones keep us connected to work 24/7. 24-7. How easy it is to be overworked or to seemingly be overworked. Years ago, I got an email from a friend of one of those forwarded emails and uh, you might get one of those this year, maybe from something like that, right? Here's a guy kind of having a little bit of fun with this whole aspect of work. Uh, follow, there's a lot of numbers in here, so just kind of follow along. It'll all become clear at the end. This gentleman says, as so he's writing, having a little bit of fun, he says, for a couple of years, I've been blaming my weariness and being tired on a lack of sleep and too much pressure from my job. But now I've discovered the real reason i the real reason, I'm tired because I'm overworked. He's having fun in this. The population of this country, I got this, this, I got this forward many years ago. The population in this country is 237 million. It's way more than that, but just follow along. It's 237 million. 104 million are retired. That leaves 133 million to do the work. There are 85 million in school, which leaves 48 million to do the work. Of this number, 29 million are employed by the federal government, leaving 19 million to do the work. (laughs) 2.8 million are in the armed forces, which leaves 16.2 million to do the work. Take from that total the 14,800,000 who work for state and city governments, and that leaves 1.4 million to do the work. (laughs) You're getting it. At any given time, there are 188,000 people in hospitals leaving 1,212,000 people to do the work. And there are 1,211,998,000 people in prisons. That leaves just two people to do the work. You and me. And you're sitting at your computer reading this joke. (laughs) Yeah, we're getting lots of work done, aren't we? (laughs) Oh, don't we all know that? You got it today. You're doing good. (laughs) But some people go to the opposite, the extreme of avoidance. Patrick Morley again says this. They shrink from their God-given responsibility and live off the generosity of others and expect friends to bail them out. Two extremes that we need to avoid. Here's what the word says, Solomon, in Proverbs 28, 19. He who works his land will have abundant food. Kind of sounds like that last verse we read. But the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Kind of sounds like the last verse we read. Amazing how some of these things get repeated. guess he thinks that's pretty important. Paul confirms Solomon's wisdom in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says this, For when we are with you, we gave you this rule. The man will not work, You shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy, but they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. And what is right? Work is right. It's good. God ordained it. It's a part of our life. It's a spiritual part of our life because that's the only part we have. It's all spiritual. We do all to the glory of God. And I think as I read these verses, I think about this deal. the The key word from God's word is balance. The need for balance in our lives. Don't be a workaholic and don't be an avoider. Work hard, but don't neglect your faith, your family your friends by being out of balance. And always keep in mind these wise words. No one has ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. (laughs) Good versus bad. Spiritual versus secular. Workaholism versus avoidance. Excellence versus mediocre. Many in the world would tell you this regarding work. Your good is good enough. Your good is good enough. Expend the least amount of energy necessary to keep everyone happy and collect your check. If mediocre work keeps my job, then that will be my standard. You might have worked with some people that had that philosophy through the years. But I believe our work is to be characterized by excellence, giving our best effort. Now I know there's a fine line between excellence and perfectionism, but there's a huge chasm between excellence and mediocre. A huge chasm between excellence and mediocre. We're to work as God's representatives to advance his kingdom through our excellence in the workplace. So the world might say, your good is good enough, where I think the word and God would say to us, your best is good enough. Your best is good enough. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? And he would expect you to go. Yeah, I've seen those people. He will serve before kings. He will not serve serve before obscure men. He's not putting people down. There. He's just saying that they do their work so excellently they'll be recognized for that. And and that's a good thing. Why? Because all we do is supposed to bring glory to God. Not, not for ourselves, but to bring glory to God. So they do work and they get recognized for that because they do good work. Excellent work. When they built the temple, the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, they hired the best craftsmen who gave their best effort with the best materials because they wanted to give their best for the Lord. And you, you might be reading through there or just recently read through there in you your one-year Bible, you know, and you're going through the tabernacle and you're going, oh, this is so boring. <sighs> and we've all felt that way, okay, at some time, all right? But you look at that and you look at what they did and how they put it together and what was important about that. And they get these guys, men and women that are skilled in these areas. I was reading about one just the other day and it was like he was skilled in this and this and this and this and this. I was like, man, that guy can do it all. Hey, <laughs> Logan, yeah, yeah. Why? They, they they brought the best in with the best materials. And people gave to make those materials possible. In some cases, they would get them, but they also took up offerings so they could have the best materials. And they did their best for the Lord because they wanted to honor Him. They wanted to glorify Him. Um, think of this. I, I, I can't picture Jesus at the carpenter's bench saying making a table. That's good enough. They'll never notice. That lake's just a little bit longer. You know what? That's what they deserve for bargaining that price with us anyway. That's really not enough. But we said we'd do it for that price. I just can't imagine Jesus doing that. You probably can't either. We get excellence to Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Whatever you do, sounds a little bit like 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Paul can repeat things too. Work at it with all your heart. Why? Because you're working for the Lord. Okay, students, I know I've been, you know, pounding on you a little bit here. But students, you probably got a few more weeks of school. You know what you should do? You should finish well. Your friends are not gonna finish well. I've been there, you remember I went to school too. That's seven years after high school. Even more than that, really. But and I saw that all through my life. You know, it's the end of the year. Got field day coming up, da-da-da-da, all the things going on, right? And everybody just kind of coasts. Man, I want to encourage you students, finish well. You honor God in that. Your teachers will have good hearts because of the work that you do. It will please them. They'll think highly of you for that in the midst of everything else. Finish well, because it brings glory. Many years ago, when I was in Amarillo, I was a youth pastor. Um, We had a church van. It kind of goes with being a church, a youth pastor. We had a church van, and we would take it down to a filling station. Uh, We purposely took it down to this one filling station. One, because he would let us have a bill, but two, because he didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And a person in our church knew him pretty well, had traded with him, had grown up in Pueblo, traded with him. And uh he was a hard working man. He could be just a little bit gruff at times, too. And um, so I was in there one afternoon filling the the, the uh, tank up with gas. You know, it was probably $1.22 or something like that <laughs> to be able to do that. And I walked into the, you know, his little little office inside, you know, and I scribbled out Scott M. Bailey on the receipt. And he said, Young man. I'd like to bring something to your attention. Kind of like, oh, I think I did it right. (laughs) Um, He said, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you when you sign your name, you sign it so it's clear and it looks good. He says, because it represents you and your character. I haven't forgotten that lesson. That's probably 1983, 40 years ago. Now, I can't say always, you know, don't scribble it on there, you know, when you've got to do it on those pads of coals, you know, just, just like that, okay. I understand that. But if I'm in a restaurant, I make sure it says Scott and Bailey and it looks good. Well, as good as I can do it, which is not always very good, right? If you know my writing. As a lesson excellence, character. Do it well, even if you sign your name, to be able to do that. Fifth, discipline versus lazy. The world says, and again, I'm making a characterization, generalization. This fits a little bit with this last point of excellence and mediocre. The world says, just work hard enough to get by, get your 30, 40 hours in, and then go out and play. Now, rest and play is important. I'm not saying that. And, and, and even in our society today, this thought loyalty is not your master, so change jobs whenever you feel like it. I can look around here and I can see men and women who worked 79 years at some place. Just kidding. But I can go over here 47 years at the mill. T.C. I'm not saying you can't change jobs, but I say in our day in society, loyalty is, is not a master i find something better i'll go to it i really don't really don't care about the people that i'm leaving behind I'm not saying you have to work 47 years the same place but i'm just say make sure god's guiding you toward that that's what matters the world says work just hard enough to get by where i say i think the word says this work hard enough to please the lord that's what matters you're not trying just to get by no Work hard enough that the Lord is pleased by what you have done. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slavery. be disciplined, to do the work with excellence, to be somebody who who shows up on time, to be somebody who completes their projects and doesn't have excuses for everything when they get done. Yeah, we can be honest and we don't get the work done. That's totally fine. But then say, I'll get the work done. I'm working on it. I can get it done for you. And whatever that pursuit is for you right now. Whether you retire, do you have things that you still need to get done? And to be diligent at that, to be disciplined in those things. Disciplined versus lazy. And number six, lastly, significance versus success. The world says be successful, go to college, get go a good paying job buy a new car every three years, live in a nice house, a nice hammered send your kids to the right college, save enough retirement so you can do what you want. That's what the world says. That's what they practice. For you that are retired, I say this, I'm not there yet so you can catch me in a few years, maybe 10 or 20, whenever I retire. I think retirement is the opportunity to serve the Lord family and your community with the hours you used to work. I hope I didn't make anybody mad now, okay? Retirement's not in the Bible, they say. Yes, the Levites did retire at 50, but they kept doing work. It was just less work. They kept a ministry going. Retirement's good. Many of you are there. Congratulations to but it's a time to be able to use that time for the Lord, his work, and his kingdom. For your family, for your community, to be able to make a difference in those lives. You've worked hard to be able to have that privilege. May we all use it well, and in years you can ask me how I'm doing with that when I get to that point. The world says be successful. The word says be significant. Make a difference in the lives the people in your sphere of influence, at work, in your community, your school, the places that you frequent, be significant in their lives, encourage them, cheer them on, help them, be Jesus to them. A couple of proverb Proverbs verses. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. That's what matters to his is to do his work. Love this little verse. There's gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are precious jewels. We have all these things over here that would say success, success, success. This is what really matters is that you would have precious, you'd have precious jewels. Your, your lips of knowledge would be precious jewels. What you communicate, how you're with people, how you're loving them, how you're communicating with, that's what really matters. That's significance. That's significance. You might have heard this before. Give and it shall be given to you, good measure. pressed down, shaken together, running over. will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be given back to you. Luke 6.38. You ever heard anybody say you should give with a dump truck, not a teaspoon? (laughs) Yeah, that guy just keeps telling you. He's going to keep telling us that until he retires someday, right? That's significance. That's significance. And that's what you're going to get back. That's that's what you're going to get back. If you give that way, if you forgive that way, if you love your enemy that way, this is what you're going to get back. The measure you give it out, that's going to be the measure that's going to come back to you. A couple of quotes from a few weeks ago. We started Sam Reeves saying this Be a host in this world, not a guest. Live with urgency, soak in the beauty of his eternal creation. Tom Watts, golfer Tom Watts. Mine is simple. Do the next right thing. Give yourself to people less fortunate than yourself and have faith in a higher power. Simple, isn't it? I'd say the higher power needs to be God. These are things that will make us significant in God's eyes and in the lives of people around us and make a difference in their lives. Why? Because we want to honor God. So whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Our work, our play, our relationships, we want to bring honor to him. We want to be good at it, not just get by. We want to be excellent at putting into people's lives and caring for them and loving them and showing them Jesus. Be salt, as I've told you before. Roger Samuels gave me this one. See as Jesus sees. Act as Jesus acts. Love as Jesus loves. Talk as Jesus talks. Let's leave the sweet aroma, fragrance of Christ every way, everywhere we go. One of the ways we do that is to be the church. I mentioned earlier, we need—I need a director. I need somebody to come alongside. Maybe a couple to come alongside, help us put these projects together. Yeah, will it be work? Yes, it'll be work. But could we make it and see it as a significant thing to be able to touch people's lives? Yeah, it will. It will. Vacation Bible school in the same way. Significant. How can we speak Christ into the lives of these kiddos that are going to come and be here? And as we speak into them, we speak into their parents' lives. and Hopefully they would find Jesus if they don't know Jesus. They'd be drawn closer to Jesus in that. Come alongside, my friend must be significant. God's gifted you. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities to be able to make a difference in people's lives. That will make a difference. So you think about the Lord's Supper this morning. This is putting things together yesterday afternoon. Here's what I wrote. When Jesus came to the earth and put on skin, he put on his work clothes. He worked until he's a he worked as a carpenter until he's thirty years old. Now, probably didn't work the first few years of his life, of course, but he was a carpenter, the son of a carpenter. I'm sure that's what he did. Then he continued his work as the Savior. Mark ten forty five. You know this. He came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. That's work. Not to be served, but to serve. Luke 19.10, what does it say? He came to seek and save those who are lost. That's his work. His ministry. And with his work clothes on, he brought good news to the spiritually poor. Isaiah 60. He bound up the spiritually brokenhearted. He proclaimed liberty to spiritual captives. And he opened the prison for those who were spiritually imprisoned. That's what he came to do. Yeah, he was a carpenter for a while, but then he transitioned into what his work was, the Savior work, the Messianic work, as he worked on our behalf. He worked perfectly hard to glorify his Father in heaven and was so perfectly faithful in his work that as he breathed his last breaths on the cross, he could say what? It is finished. He did what he came to do as the Savior, giving of his body, the giving of his blood for us. That he could say at the end, well, (sighs) didn't really get done what God wanted me to do, but here I am anyway. No. He accomplished perfectly, worked hard with excellence to do everything and without sin, of course. (laughs) But He did everything that He was to do for His Father to be able to say on the cross, it is finished. salvation work is done. And you know what? He's still working for us. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And we know when it communicates that he's at the right hand of God, it communicates he finished his work here his salvific work right but he's not done working he's still up there cheering you on he's still up there interceding for you in those difficult times when you don't know how to pray and things are just out of out in chaos around your life and you need his help he's interceding for you and he's still interceding when we sin he also says it says in first first john chapter 2 verse 1 we have this advocate with the father right is one who's the advocate for us. He's advocating for us. Father, they're my children. Let's bring forgiveness into their lives. He's still working. It's a good thought. It's a good thought. Still working and interceding on our behalf. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, as we think about his work for us in your neighborhoods, if you'd stand and if you'd come They are pre-packaged, and then there are those that are double cup like this with the juice and then also the wafer inside. If you would take one, and then you would return to your seat. Somebody around you that could use some help getting one, you might just want to ask them if you could bring back one for them, the elements for them. you glad he did the work for you <laughs> on the cross. His death is barely and his resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing the work. We don't have to work to get to heaven. <laughs> he did the work for us. We just have to believe. We do the work because we have this relationship with Him. We love Him and we care for Him. We want to obey Him. But He did the work to make it possible to have this relationship with the Father. He gave His body for us. He suffered physically. Oh, did He suffer physically. But even more so spiritually Taking our sin upon him. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have his righteousness credited to our account. So this morning, thank you right now, just you privately. Thank you. Praise O God, our Redeemer, Creator, in grateful devotion, our tribute. He was with his disciples that last night before his crucifixion. He's been down to wash their feet. He wasn't done working with them. And more things to be able to teach them and encourage them. We read about it in John thirteen. He washes their feet. He talks about heaven in chapter fourteen. Talks about abiding in chapter 15. Talks about his praying for them in 16 and 17. Still working, still honoring his Father, and helping his disciples to grow and become more like him. And on the cross, teaching them that last supper, taking the bread, taking the cup. It's helping them to understand what was going to take place. Now we look back, thank Him for it, and look forward in anticipation. We proclaim His death until He comes, 1 Corinthians 11. Thank Him for His precious blood that was shed on have been cleansed because of the blood that he shed in our saint. Father, forgive me of our sins. I confess my sin to you. Your spirit for coming to do the work. He said, That's why I'm going to, I got to get out of the way. Jesus said, I got to get out of the way because the Spirit needs to come so He can do His work. His work of sealing our salvation, being the deposit, guaranteeing eternal life. So, you finish this morning. As Derek leads us in a song. Join us.